Well, good morning and welcome to another of our continuing Wednesday morning live stream panel discussions for entrepreneurs, innovators, and investors. So um, AI, AI is kind of the, uh, the hot thing of the year, right? It was uh, just over a year ago that uh, ChatGPT was released. Um, and I believe it came, it became the fastest uh, uh, application to ever accumulate a million registered users. Uh, and, you know, right now it's all about AI. Um, but it also means the regulators are starting to get on this, right? That, you know, that the regulators and legislative bodies are trying to figure out what kind of, what kind of regulation needs to be wrapped around this new AI thing. Uh, and you may have heard that last week in the lead up to the, uh, to the primary election in New Hampshire, that voters were getting a call from Joe Biden telling them to stay home, don't vote, save your vote for November. Uh, except it turned out, of course, it wasn't Joe Biden. Uh, it was an AI generated uh, voice to sound like Joe Biden. <laughs> so it's a pretty hot topic right now. And joining me to talk about this are a couple of uh, awesome attorney friends of mine, starting with Natasha. Morning, Natasha. Good morning. How are you, Brett? I'm good. So tell us what we need to know about you. Great. Absolutely. So Natasha Allen, uh, I am a partner at Foley & Lardner in the Silicon Valley area. Um, I wear many hats at the firm. So I'm a transactional attorney, but I'm also the co-chair of the AI subsector at Foley & Lardner. So Foley is you know, set up in different sectors, one of which is the innovative tech sector. And I lay within that and I am the co-chair of the AI subsector. So I've been fortunate to kind of be on the forefront, having questions from clients in terms of what's going on, what should they be looking at. Uh, Foley has a huge roster of blogs, information, just about the different things that are going on. Because as you mentioned, Brett, things are moving very rapidly. Yeah, right. All right, welcome. Also joining us this morning is Louis Lowe. Good morning, Louis. Good morning, everybody. Louis Lowe. I'm a startup lawyer. I help startups get formed, finance, scaled for growth, bought and sold. And uh, you couldn't be in the Silicon Valley and not say AI uh, for every single uh, venture that you're working on these days. So delighted to participate. And uh, thanks to my partner, Natasha, uh, for spearheading today. So Louis, I went on to ChatGPT and I asked it to write me a limerick about you. Louis <laughs> and the problem is that the rhymes didn't work because it thought your name was pronounced Lewis. <laughs> so, Louis, are you in favor of regulation that would require AI engines to know how to properly pronounce your name? No, I'm not in favor. I'm not in favor. It would take all the fun out of it. Brett. <laughs> and generally, if you ask me if I'm in favor of regulation, most of the time I say no. Right. <laughs> which will be a theme of today. <laughs> so speaking of which, so back in October, the Biden administration issued an executive order on uh, on AI. And it's kind of a funny executive order to read because on one hand, it's promoting all of the amazing things about AI and how it's going to be a driver of growth and opportunity. Uh, and on the other hand, it lays out the fact that AI is a grave danger to society and we need to pass you know, legislation to rein it in. <laughs> yeah. So is there anything from that particular executive order that, um, you know, that entrepreneurs, startup founders and investors should worry about today? Or is that one of those toothless executive orders? I think it's Natasha knows the details. Natasha? 
Uh, I would say heed warning because prior to this executive order, there was kind of more of an airy fairy uh, outline of what AI should be and how we should regulate it. I think this is giving you a little more meat. Obviously, it is still very broad, uh, and we were actually able to pull from different industries, like how would it apply to a particular industry, because nobody really knows. Really, what the administration said was large agencies in the government, figure it out and come back to us. That's essentially mm-hmm. what they said. Figure out how to regulate your folks right, and right. tell us what to do. So, you know, in that regard, it was at least there's a little bit of movement, I think, in the right direction. But I do think... Um, a lot of these things should be listened to and, and kind of paid attention to. And on Monday, you know, some people say, was it a political ploy or whatever it was, but the administration also had some more meat in terms of like what they're thinking with their executive order. They highlighted a lot in terms of, you know, safety, making sure that testing is happening. So that's something that I think companies cannot ignore. And a lot of it is going to be tied around the explainability of what is happening. Like that's been a theme that's been going on for quite a long time. Uh, The concept in the uh, Biden administration of the red team. So that's a team that just looks at the outputs and alarms, sets an alarm if something is odd or off. That's I think should definitely be, people should be aware of. Um, You know, uh, consumer protection, which, you know, I think the funny thing, and I was talking to somebody about this too, is there are still laws in existence, whether you put AI on something or not. So, you know, fraud is fraud, whether you're using fraud AI is fraud, right. fraudulent versus not using AI to be fraudulent. So just thinking that just because you're wrapping AI around it doesn't mean you're free and clear of the laws that already exist. Right. Um, but I do think, you know, the government or the federal government is really pushing on the agencies to, to give them insights into what they should be worrying about and how they should be regulating it. Um, but, uh, you know, there are things that are in place, like privacy rules are still in place. Those are things that you really should be paying attention to. Um, you were talking about the states and what happened in New Hampshire. So in terms of the states itself, the focus as of, you know, the beginning of 2024 is really on the elections, right? Deep fakes, like you said, um, fake voice over, you know, all those are really what the states have kind of put out bills and obviously you know, put out a bill. We don't know if it will actually become legislation, but um, around deep fakes and when you can have deep fakes and if you should be putting notifications. So that's the focus, I think, as of the beginning of 2024 is really the election. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think, Natasha, you make a really good point with the fraud is fraud thing, right? That when, you know, when, when people counterfeit money, um, you know, it's not the printing press's fault, right? <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. Fraud, fraud is fraud. Um, let's see. So, Louis, additional thoughts on uh, on this, the Biden administration order and such? Well, it doesn't really resolve the the quintessential question, which I'm going to set up for, for us here. Um, and that's as follows. Every business, I don't care what it's in, uh, can be improved by artificial intelligence. And um, there are a lot of big brains out there building these large language models and uh, they can be built. They rely on uh, heavy compute power, um, some significant uh, GPUs. So provided you've got some minimal capital to to buy the compute power and the engineers to build the artificial intelligence uh, uh, large language model processing, you then need to get flows of data. 
And assuming that you can get some flows of data into this engine uh, that, that's going to then produce outputs, the question then becomes who owns the outputs and who it gets, who's owed a fee? Um, and, and I don't care what business you're in. This is really the question. Um, do you owe a co did you violate somebody's copyright? And the New York Times has, uh, has put that question uh, against OpenAI and, and Microsoft. And, and until we have an answer to that question, um, I'm not sure um, you know, how these businesses are, are going to monetize. Yeah. Um, and that's really the big question. And one, one, of our, one of our listeners writes in with this exact question. He says, what are the implications of the New York Times versus OpenAI uh, future content IP ownership, et cetera? That is a, that is a big question for sure. And the question is, is, is this fair use? Mm -hmm. um, because mm -hmm. there is an exception to the copyright infringement laws, which say that if, if the use of, of the material that's been published and copyrighted is, is fair, then, then a fee right. is owed. Right. Um, and, and then if, if, it, if a fee is owed, how much of a fee is going to be owed? Um, right. and, and how does that impact the, the commercial and monetization model of the business um, that you're building? So I continue to believe that it's really important uh, to be smart on how you build and to, to, to buy um, data or, or to, to bring in data into your, into your model that's, that's very, very proprietary that nobody else could, could ever have access to. And, and the faster you do that, uh, the bigger the moats you're going to have around this business that you've created. And, and that is the arms race that we're in right now. Right, but it's also, it's also true. There, there are a lot of startup founders and investors right now who are creating, you know, new new companies and new mm -hmm. applications mm -hmm. that are. The idea is that the kind of the underlying intelligence will be driven by one of these big existing engines, right? Which is basically OpenAI or Bard or one of these. Um, and so, you know, if I do that, and then, you know, my app is kind of a secondary outlet that is spewing out stuff that it turns out belong to the New York Times, then, you know, do I have liability for that? Potentially. Potentially. Potentially do. And that's why I think a lot of uh, the clients that we're dealing with want to understand what is the AI implication of all of these third party, you know, technology software we're using uh, and how does it implicate us? Right, in our doings and usings of those technologies. Um, just to touch on the New York Times, OpenAI said something kind of interesting. They said that, you know, at some point in time, you are going to have to use copyrighted material in order to te teach these models, right? You're going to hit a point in time when, you know, you're not going to be able not to use that. So I do think it will have an impact. It's very interesting because somebody had compared it to the Getty case. And they were like, what's the difference between New York Times and uh, Getty? Right, and right. I, the New York Times was that it was almost verbatim. The articles that were spin out. Um, so it, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see how they, they, how it plays out, or it might even get settled outside of court. Who knows, right? Um, who knows what'll happen? But it'll be interesting to see. So, the, so the Getty case, for those who don't know, is it's a different case between uh, Getty Images, which is one of the largest um, licensed libraries of images in the world. And in a generative AI uh, uh, image generation engine, I forget the name of the company now. Um, so it's an engine where you say, you know, make me a cat, make me a cat playing with a tennis ball, right? Uh, and it'll draw this for you. Well, it turns out that without getting images even knowing, 
uh, these guys had their bots crawl, crawl the entire Getty Images library so that they could learn what cats look like, what tennis balls look like, what all this look like. Um, so super interesting case. And has that been resolved, Natasha? I don't think it has. Yeah. 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 No. So, um, you know, let's talk a little bit about the, you know, I know you guys are U.S. attorneys, but uh, the EU is pretty busy around this stuff as well. Um, matter of fact, the EU tends to be out in front of the U.S. in terms of regulatory stuff often. Um, and of course, for any, you know, for pretty much any startup today, you need to be compliant not only with U.S. regulations, but you have to be compliant with the EU regulations because you're probably going to have users in the EU, right? Um, so any any thoughts or insights into into that? Well, they obviously the EU is further along, right? They have an actual right. AI Act coming out. I think it's in May is right. when they're thinking of having it released. Um, the model in the EU is interesting, and I'm wondering if you know. Obviously, in the executive order, Biden said, you know, we're going to be the leaders, but we're also going to look what people have done around us. And so the EU did an interesting thing where they split between what they consider critical versus non-critical. Right. Oh, and that you should regulate that's critical versus what you should regulate not so heavily because it's not critical. So in terms of, you know, I don't know, like uh, financials or discrimination, those are things that they think are critical and should be more heavily regulated. And the parallel between what the Biden administration did was recently they had requested that uh, a few agencies, like kind of the higher, like, you know, transportation, you're talking about health and human services, ask them to actually look at how AI can be regulated in those critical systems. So it's kind of alluding to the fact that if you are in kind of a high profile, you know, defense, we're worried about AI and defense and who's using it and how they're using it, that's something that should be highly regulated. So that was an interesting kind of like parallel between the two kind of regulations of AI. Uh, and maybe the US is looking at the EU and because obviously they're further along to see maybe these are some things that we should be looking at. Right. And then Louis quickly pointed out my uh, uh, my my geographic centric brain, which is that I mentioned the EU. But of course, there's a whole bunch of other jurisdictions out there, including including Asia. Asia. Biggest one is China. And, and, and really, the, the biggest one being China, as there's so much development going on over there and uh, so much need for our products to access that market. Uh, and, and I couldn't stress enough how important it is to comply with those regulations. Right. right. And then uh, Erdogan wants to know whether AI is going to make the two of you unemployed. <laughs> I have spoken on this many times. <laughs> Take it away, Natasha. We are further away from Terminator. I might be aging myself. You know, <laughs> this is not a Terminator age yet. Um, I think what will happen is, uh, like all technologies, it will make us more efficient. We'll figure out different ways to do our jobs uh, in a more efficient manner, right? Um, we will have different jobs, right? Uh, but it will not make us extinct. And I know people counter that and say, no, eventually it'll take over. You won't be required. You won't be relevant. But I think until we can get to a point where people can 100% rely on the outputs, right? There's still hallucinations. There's still issues with AI, it's not a repeat and forget and walk away. Um, I do think there's still relevance behind attorneys reviewing, making sure that they actually, the outputs are actually correct. 
uh, doing our jobs, essentially. Uh, there'll be more emphasis probably on training associates to figure out how can you assess if something is wrong or right. No longer is it going to be, you know, go learn on your own because you're going to go do all this research, right? They're just going to put in inputs and it'll pop it out. And they're going to have to have somebody to sit down and say, this is why it's wrong or this is why it's right. Um, I think that we'll have to get better in terms of being prompt engineers because that has a huge impact in terms of your output, right? Garbage in, garbage out. If you don't know how to properly ask, you know, whatever you're asking, you're going to get garbage out. Um, so I do think it'll change the way we work, um, but I don't think it will make us obsolete anytime soon anyways. Well, shout out to my daughter, Michaela, who works for a startup in San Francisco called Ironclad. Uh, and uh, what their software does is uh, one one aspect of what the software does is it'll it'll read a contract for you and kind of mark out the things that probably should be discussed. Um, so that's kind of an example of what Natasha is talking about of you know kind of offloading the easier stuff to the machines so that the professionals can focus on the you know the tougher stuff, the higher level stuff. And many, I just want to many jump my... in there for a second. Is there's yeah. so many things that lawyers could do if they had more time mm -hmm. um and time is of course how we 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 sell uh our our product if you will and so there's a lot of things that clients would benefit from but they don't feel like they could reasonably access uh, because in the word efficient there's effective and then there's there's the price um, right. and so ai is i'm finding is allowing me just to do more things instantly um, which means that at a very you know minimal cost, which which right. allows me then to provide more services and makes clients more and more dependent. So up to now, Brett, it's been a very much a growth business for lawyers, AI. Oh, and, I'm sure uh, it has. Yeah, I'm sure it has. Right. And I would also say that most AI businesses have can can look at my business and tell me what they could do with it. There are just so many use cases. Right. Uh, it, it's exciting. Yeah, most most of my physician friends talk about the same thing. That kind of. Mm. You know, in, in their mind, AI, they'll be able to kind of offload the easier stuff to AI so that the physicians can focus on the harder stuff, right? Exactly. Yeah, Eric, Eric, kind of a... Eric Topol wrote a great book on AI and medicine called Deep Knowledge. Highly yeah. recommend. So John, um, John points out that, you know, regulation is always uh, uh, trying to catch up, right? Because industry moves, a whole, industry and technology move a whole lot faster than the regulators do. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, uh, you know, John says it's a, you know, losing game of the requirement to stay at the beginning of any output that, uh, you know, that this has been created by AI, which I think is, is a good point. Um, and Iwa says, uh, oh, you'll be happy to know that Iwa says uh, generative AI uh, will not replace lawyers. Um, and there's a case, you're familiar with this case that she's uh, referencing here, you guys? Meta No? Okay. There's the importance of human oversight, right? Right. Um, to touch on the, the outpacing, I think the yeah. one thing that I think will be interesting is the states have outpaced the feds in terms of just getting bills, getting legislation out and in place. So my question and query is how are they going to reconcile, right? What will the feds right. do in, in connection with what the states have already done? Because they've moved a lot faster. So I think that'll be an interesting thing to see how the two will, will reconcile. Will they right. though, Natasha? <laughs> I don't know. It, it, they could do many things, right? Some people had suggested maybe have a committee, you know, where, I don't know, we'll see. 
right now, I think they are not uh, putting too much, too many stakes in the ground. And then Bill kind of points out, you know, he says, what is the Times complaining about? These AI models read their data, which is available on the internet, um, and spits out a response to the question without citing its source. And I do think that's kind of the heart of it at the moment, right? Is that at least when I use Google, uh, the, the source is cited, right? Whereas with ChatGPT, it gives me an answer, which is, um, you know, generated from a whole bunch of stuff the bots have read, but it doesn't cite any of its sources. No, it doesn't cite any of its sources. And I think the, the pain for the New York Times, like I said before, was that these articles were verbatim, maybe a few verbatim. more verbatim, yeah. uh, but pretty much just spitting out exactly right. what the journalist had already written. Right. Without, like you said, giving credit. Yeah, I, po I posted to LinkedIn the other day about how it's interesting that we're in an age now where plagiarism is easier than ever before, right? Uh, but also catching plagiarism is easier than ever before, right? Because, you know, it's pretty easy for software to go out and find verbatim snippets that have been yeah. copied from somewhere, right? <laughs> Interesting times. Okay, so, um, Natasha, so if I'm, if I'm thinking about creating a new startup today, that is going to be, you know, kind of in the AI space. So in other words, either I'm going to create a new, you know, LLM of my own and um, and such, or I'm going to, um, you know, be a vertical solution of some sort that harnesses some of the existing LLMs. Either way, what should I think about with regard to the regulatory environment that I want to, uh, I, that, I, that I want to uh, operate safely within? Yeah, I would say, where are you sourcing your inputs? Right. Making sure that wherever you're sourcing your inputs are accurate, depends on what vertical obviously you're in, uh, but that'll make a big difference in terms of whether you have bias, whether you have issues with the outputs. The second thing would be, again, I touched on this, this whole theme around explainability. So the government is pretty much pushing on, you have to understand what's happening in the black box no longer are there things where you can say well i don't know i just put it in and this came out and we're great so understanding and trying to explain what is actually happening behind the curtain and then again touching on this whole red team where you have a team dedicated individuals that look at the outputs to see if there are any issues that should be highlighted um, or brought to the attention of the rest of the organization so those are the things i think we should look at but really what is the source of the information you're putting in right and if I am using a third-party engine, I assume that I probably want to carefully examine the uh, the contract with that provider. Absolutely. Always anything dealing with AI, uh, any contract, you're talking to a lawyer, review it. <laughs> I even read the little terms and conditions when people laugh at me when it's so small, but still. <laughs> That's your job. <laughs> so make sure you read the contracts, right? There are a lot, there are more provisions being put in place specifically relating to AI. So that is good. Right, no longer relying on old contract forms to, to try to assume that they're covering and protecting. Um, but make sure you're reviewing those or have your attorney review it to make sure and understand where your liability is. Right, right. Louis, anything you'd add to that in terms of things that a startup founder should think about today? Um, yeah, I, I, I think uh, we're in a period for the next two or three years where I, I think we're in a regulatory sandbox where there's not there aren't that many regulations that that the government is going to put in place um but i think when when it the technology matures and there are more commercial 
aspects, uh, then it'll be important to be designing in compliance from the get-go. Um, I think privacy is very important and protecting personal information. Um, that's something you can do now um, and, and making sure you design that in. Um, but I, I think uh, the next two, three years will be uh, continue to be the Wild West. And some of the police are actually using to what you were saying, Louis, privacy as a means to regulate AI. So they're not coming out with a specific, you know, this is my act on AI, but they're actually using privacy legislation to help regulate some of those. Um, so agree, keep an eye out for what's going on with privacy. So Marcello asks, uh, you know, when AI is used to automate operations and decision-making in supply chains, for example, who will be liable for that decision-making if things go wrong? So if AI gives you bad advice, can you sue the AI? I <laughs> know. Uh, we're, we're, I think the reason we're laughing is we're like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I think it's similar to what you said, right? It's, yeah, I think you just have to be aware of the outputs. You, no longer can you say, well, I didn't know how it happened. Uh, mm -hmm. Because there will be someone liable. So, um, Louis, you mentioned that you see all kinds of opportunities out there. Uh, you got any investment advice? <laughs> I do not give investment advice. <laughs> and that is why I am still an hourly wage worker. Uh, if, 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 uh, if you're taking investment advice from a lawyer, you're in big trouble. <laughs> those, those are wise, wise words. So we have another question here about um, uh, about images, and in this case, it's specifically about um, about the film industry. Um, you know, they said, in my specific line of work, we generate uh, live rendered backgrounds for film production. What legislation are we likely to see that might affect the use of AI generated uh, digital assets, whether they're two D or three D? No idea, Natasha. I mm, no, not not specifically in the film production. Maybe well, you might be looking at maybe deep fit. I don't. Yeah, I think I. Would yeah, more. I think yeah, unfortunately, what I mean by this panel, who's a you know film and entertainment industry expert, but I I would assume the answer is probably the same. In terms of you know any IP where there's, you know there's some there's some risk that somebody is going to say you're monetizing. IP that belongs to me, mm -hmm. um, you know, in the same way that if you made a film, if you made a film background, if you stole somebody's photo and used it as a film background, uh, that would be a problem, right? And some and, of the things that are requiring that you uh, indicate on whatever renderings you've taken from somewhere else to say that this was generated by uh, AI or this was not, you know, uh, something that was originally produced. So right. that would be something. But again, the regulations are kind of all over the map. I think that's right. why. So that would be, so Natasha, that would just be like in the credits at the end of the film, it would say, you know, the background you saw in these three scenes was generated by AI and that, or that maybe would be required, required that you disclose that? Yeah, the, some of the regulations are asking for that. Now, in yeah. practice, is it when the AI generated, uh, um, you know, item comes up, you have to have a notation or at the end? It I guess it depends on how much is generated by AI, right? We have seen entire films that people have tried to generate using AI. So right. Right. And uh 
uh, Erdogan has another provocative question, which is that, you know, can AI be a co listed as a co-inventor at a patent? <laughs> we should ask our patent folks, but I know that there is a way to patent certain AI tech. And that is outside of my my scope of practice. But yeah, we've talked spoken to some of our patent attorneys and they've, they've figured out a way. Yeah. Okay. Any other uh, any other thoughts you guys have before we before we wrap this up? Uh, you know, I think as, as Louis said, it's kind of the it's gonna, it's just kind of it's just going to kind of be the wild wild west for the next year or two because mm -hmm. uh, technology is way ahead of the regulators at the moment. Um, but in, any other specific advice that you would give startup founders and investors? Uh, I would say what we are doing at Foley is putting together what we're calling a heat map so that you can hover over a particular state to see what statuses of particular AI regulations. So I think for now, because there are so many moving parts and the states are moving at different paces, that will help um, to kind of keep, keep people level set, especially if you're a cross-country organization. Right, right. Louis? Brett, uh, the name of the game right now is can you raise enough money uh, to get your business to product market fit? And product market fit is a bar that has been rising significantly over the last uh, two years, even for AI companies. Yeah. And I think um, $1 million or $2 million of contracted annual recurring revenue might be evidence that you have something. It is not evidence of product market fit. Uh, right. A venture firm uh, that's going to give you a, a, a real a real check is going to require you to get to some somewhere in the neighborhood of 10. Mm -hmm. And so we're seeing a real um, large group of companies that have gotten to the one, but not, not, but not to the 10. Mm -hmm. and, right. and so really, it's a race to get to the 10 as efficiently as you can, because you've got you're, you've got limited funds. Um, and that's really the, the name of the game uh, in on January 31, 2024, the date of this recording. Wise words, Louis. So um, we're just about out of time. Um, it's a super interesting, you know, area. I, uh, you know, it's, uh, I've been in Silicon Valley for a long time. And so I've seen all kinds of, you know, of waves of the next big thing that everybody was all in on. And then, you know, a few months later, that's old news and everybody's all in on something new. Uh, but I do think that in my time in Silicon Valley, I, I have never seen anything that so clearly really is going to change everything yeah. as, as, as generative AI is. Yeah. yeah, I agree completely. So, uh, it's an area for us all to keep close tabs on. Now, do you guys have any, uh, resources? I think Foley does have some yeah. sort of a booklet or something on, on privacy regulations, and there's some so relevant we, stuff in there about AI. Yeah, so we have an ebook on AI. We also have on our website a whole page dedicated to AI. And as I said before, it pretty much has most of, uh, well, it has all of the regulations that are coming out in kind of a summary and blog form in terms of the key points. Uh, also, there's information in terms of other intersections, right? Not just AI, but how AI intersects with manufacturing and how it, in fact, intersects with healthcare. Um, because again, it's one of those areas where it's not just one vertical, it's across all areas. So 
Um, I would urge people to definitely look at our, our website under the innovative tech sector. There's an AI subsector. The innovative tech sector on Foley.com. Mm -hmm. right. And we're gonna we're gonna let Ewa have the last question here, which is that uh, you know should startups disclose AI and uh, AI generated data on their products? Put, put a disclaimer in the fine print of their contracts, etc. I would say that depending on who your customers are, they're probably already asking for that. But it is a good thing to review, have somebody review your contracts to, to assess what you are doing. And I think the future is there will have to be some type of disclosure. Yeah. And I think I think from my perspective, gen, generally disclosure has, you know, kind of all upside, and not much downside. Agreed. Uh, so, yeah, just go ahead and disclose it because there's not much not much downside. And, uh, you know, and there may be some significant upside depending on how the regulations play out. Yeah. All right. Thanks very much, you two. And thanks to our audience for joining uh, yet another Wednesday morning uh, discussion on uh, issues related to entrepreneurs, innovation, and uh, investors. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone.